Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. In the 30s, there are three teams that dominated the league. New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, and the Bears. And nobody could come close to us. It's the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Who knows, maybe we come out running like wing T or something. Right on cue, Justin Fields to the end zone. With your host, the one and only, Kevin Powell. We're rolling and it's go time. Let's talk football. It's a midweek edition of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. On this pod, it is Bears talk. There's always going to be Bears talk, but also some around the NFL conversation and some trade deadline talk as well. Fan side, it's Matt Verderam joining me to discuss all of that. And I also wanted to get into some Illinois high school football. The playoffs are here. My Hersey Huskies are in it. Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times has them going all the way to the 7-8 state final. Does have them losing to Brother Ice in the championship, but still, hopefully my Huskies can make a deep run. But I wanted to talk high school football. Mike O'Brien from the Sun-Times does a great job doing that. So uh, that's coming up. But first, it's my conversation with Matt Verderam from Fansided. Now joining me on the podcast is Matt Verderam from Fansided. He's a national NFL reporter, does a great job covering the NFL. Uh, you can uh, hear him on the Stacking the Box podcast at Fansided. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Verderam, V-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. Matt, are you keeping Mark Carmen under control over at Fansided? What's he like over there? I'm doing the best I can. Carm is uh, an interesting human being, to say the least, but he's... Uh... <laughs> He's a good guy. He co-hosts the Stack the Box podcast with me, and uh, he puts up with me as I as I deal with uh, the Chiefs, who I grew up as a fan of, and I, I I could never shake it, even though I got into the business as a as a as a writer and a reporter. And, and so, Carm is Carm has uh, been like my therapist as they uh, they continue to squander game after game. But yes, Carm. Always interesting with him. Never a dull moment. I love Carmen. He joins me on the post-game podcast uh, on this pod uh, each week. I-, I love the man. He's a good man. But uh, let us yeah. I'm going to get to your Chiefs because I do want to do some like national around the NFL stuff. But let's talk with the Bears. And I know you're a national reporter. And, and I guess what's your view of it? Because you do follow all the teams. Sometimes locally we can get caught up in narratives that get passed around and, and I don't want to say not original thoughts, but some of the same ideas and, and conversations are tossed around. What, what are your what is your view of the Chicago Bears this year and Justin Fields? So as a general thought on them, I think offensively it just starts and ends with the line. If you can't block in the NFL, hell, if you can't block in high school or college, well, you just have no chance. And that line, it starts when they draft Kevin Jenkins, but then he has the back injury, can't play. And it just has gone downhill since. And so when I watch Justin Fields, it's hard to get a great evaluation on him because everything around them is terrible. You know, they, they run the ball decently. You know, I, I really like Herbert. I think everybody does at this point. And Montgomery, when he's healthy, he's been, been good. I mean, they, they run the ball just fine. But when you look at the passing game, you say, okay, look, Mooney's a nice young player. Robinson this year has struggled to produce the way he has in other seasons. And so you say, look, this is a team that they have three touchdown receptions all year long, one of which by, by Jesper Horstead. And, and that's it. Like they have one by Mooney, one by Robinson. But in the end, I think if you're the Bears, look, this season to me is a means to an end. Unless something magical happens, if I'm Chicago, I'm moving on from Nagy. 
I am moving on from pace. I am trading guys at the deadline here for the next couple of days. I mean, if if you're getting a decent deal for Robinson or for Hicks, I would move them. Um, They need to rebuild this team. And rebuilds can happen fast in the NFL. That's not, you know, in other sports today, it takes five years. You can rebuild in the NFL in a year or two. But I think if they're going to get the most out of fields, it starts with who they put in the front office and on the sideline. But I think they've got to rebuild this roster, especially on the offensive line, and then also, you know, just around him with some new weapons. It is pretty incredible. I mean, we, we've been talking about this offensive line. They basically had to get Jason Peters out of retirement off a fishing boat is yeah. when he got the call to come back. And, you know, has he had some glaring mistakes? Sure. He's also had some moments where he's looked really good. He's 39 years old. It's a piece-together offensive line. Tevin Jenkins, they were down to, like, their third-string right tackle uh, at Tampa Bay. It is incredible, though. They're sixth in rushing in yards per game. But they're dead last in, in overall yards per game, dead last in points per game. The, the passing game has just been awful. But, you know, you look back at that Buccaneers game, if you told me Khalil Herbert was going to rush for 100 yards on 18 carries against the top-ranked run defense, I, I would have thought that game would have been a lot closer than it was, not a 35-point blowout. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I feel the exact same way about Justin Fields. Like, it's hard to get a real evaluation of him. You almost feel bad for the guy being thrown into this situation. Were you on board with the – um I keep bringing this up almost every pod just because I like hearing everybody's thoughts on it. But, like, were you one of those people hollering that Justin Fields should start day one? There's no way they should go with Dalton. I I was on the side of, like, I was fine with Dalton starting just because of where the offensive line was at. I also just didn't know exactly how this team was going to look as a whole. Like, if you're going to be a 2-3 win team, I didn't view them that way. But, like, we didn't know. There were so many question marks going into the season. But what what was your view on on the way the Bears handled the Fields-Dalton thing? Were you okay with Dalton starting? What were, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I'll take the proverbial L on this one. I, I was in the camp of just play him. Because my thought going into the year was, I get the line's not good. But he's mobile. You can do different things. You can move the pocket. You can get the ball out quick. You can run the football. And Dalton is such a known quantity. Like, there's no upside in giving him a ton of snaps. It, it doesn't matter if you maybe win one more game and you lose. You know, it, it, to me, I didn't see the, the real grand upside in playing him. But now that we've kind of seen this thing shake out, I do think it, it becomes very hard to go back to Dalton without it looking like you don't believe in Justin Fields. And you don't want to do that. You can't do that. So I think you're essentially, even if you think it's not the best move in the moment, you're essentially stuck playing him. And and I don't say that because I don't think Fields can be good. I say that because he has no chance. They can't block. The receivers are not good. I mean, you sit there and look at the Bears' numbers. They have three guys who have 170 receiving yards this year. Like, that's it. Nobody else has 100. It's just – it's an impossible situation. I don't think Nagy's done a good job with the way they've run this offense, which obviously I think has been a complaint now for years. Um, but I did think they should play him right away. Looking back, you know, and then Dalton got hurt. It kind of was what it was. But, it, you know, I think if you're the Bears, maybe it made sense. And maybe it, maybe I was wrong, and a lot of people were wrong. Instead of – just let Dalton kind of take the slings and arrows, let him deal with it. Um, but they, they have so many problems that run so much deeper than that decision. Like, they, they need a new coach, and they need somebody else who's picking these players. Brian Pace is a really nice guy. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times, talking to him a few times. But they, they're not going to win with this roster 
the way it is. They have no shot. They need to really rebuild multiple units. Yeah, I think once you, once they went with Fields, it's you know you, you stick with them. And I I love the way Fields carries himself. He, everything about him to me says this can be a legit starting quarterback for the next ten plus years. And I'm not just basing that off the off his results this year because again it's very difficult to analyze and look at what he's producing on the field all things considered that you mentioned but I mean you look at his skill set you look at the way he carries himself the way he talks maybe I'm reading into some of that a little bit too much but we've also seen guys who seem to shy away from the moment that's not just in field so I don't know we'll see um I can't believe I'm already asking this we're only seven weeks into the season but is there anybody that should be on Bears fans radar for the new if they do move on from Maggie after this year who is there a guy being kind of mentioned again very early we can revisit this down down the season yeah. but is there anybody that's kind of like the you know there's always a few names that pop up and they're the big shiny object when it comes to the coaching uh tree and all that but is there a guy Bears fans might be excited about that you, you're keeping an eye on well I think one of the names that I was surprised you get a job last year was Brian Dable with the Bears, or excuse me, with the Bills. He's been he's been excellent. He transformed Josh Allen in that offense. Yes, they have a lot of talent, but if you watch the way that they played pre and, and now currently with Dable, it's totally different. They they get the ball quick. There's a lot of very defined reads. They they move the ball within structure, but also of course you have Allen who can play out of structure. Um, I think he's somebody who's done a great job. Eric Danny has been a name that like, at this point has been out there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's somebody who I don't know if there's going to be a little bit of shine taken off of him with the way Kansas City's playing this year. Uh, but I, I still think he would be a great hire. Like, if I'm the Bears, I actually said this on Stack the Box with Carm yesterday. Um, if I were the Bears, I would really think about calling up the Lions. I know that sounds bizarre, but I would think about calling up the Lions and saying, look, we'd like to interview John Dorsey for the GM job. Nobody has drafted better in the last decade than John Dorsey. You go look at the draft classes that that guy's put together. He has been phenomenal, whether in Kansas City, in Cleveland. I mean, he's put together some of the best draft classes in the last 20 years and had a huge hand in the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. I think it, I, I would start with him. He's not great with contracts. I would bring in somebody who's like a capologist with him. But I think Dorsey would be great. And then as a coach, yeah, listen, I think Ganymede, Gable, a couple guys that come to mind. Joe Brady, who's the, the Panthers' offensive coordinator. I know they've fallen off a little bit, but he's a really bright young mind. I like him a lot. I think he would do really, really well. And, and then defensively, if you want to go defensive, Vance Joseph, who is a bad head coach with Denver, I don't know if that would be the, the, the most uh, the sexiest hire in the world. He has done a great job with the Cardinals' defense. A great job. Like, like you talk to people around the league, people are floored at how good that team is defensively with the personnel it has. So those are a couple guys I would watch. Um, let's get to um, some around the NFL stuff. You've mentioned the Chiefs a couple times. What is going on with the Chiefs? I mean, they're three and four. If you have Patrick Mahomes, you assume this team is just, you know, light up the scoreboard. It's Mahomes, huge contract. I see Matt Verderam on Twitter frustrated with the Kansas City Chiefs on a week-by-week yes. basis. Uh, what's going on there? What isn't going on there, I think, is the, the better question right now. They they can't get a rush on the quarterback to save their lives, but they make up for it by not stopping the run um, and missing a million tackles. Now, they've actually gotten better – in coverage, the tackling's gotten a little better the last couple of weeks. They, they, they stunningly stopped Derrick Henry. He averaged less than three yards of carry last week. 
But it didn't matter because Ryan Tannehill had literally five, six seconds to throw the ball on most snaps. So uh, their pass rush is killing them. I think if their pass rush got better, you'd see a big jump quickly with them defensively because I do think Spagnuolo's starting to figure some stuff out, but it doesn't matter when you've got all day and half the night to throw. Offensively, it's been confounding. You know, I think defensively it's easy enough to just look at it and go, okay, this is what's wrong. Offensively, it's been turnovers galore for them. They lead the league. They had 16 turnovers this year. Of their 16 turnovers, 15 have been on offense. They had the one uh, on, a, on a kick return they fumbled. And of the 15 offensive turnovers, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I believe 11 of them have come on the offensive side of the 50-yard line. I mean, they just they shoot themselves in the foot. Mahomes has had some bad luck. I mean, he's had some balls where he's thrown it right to a receiver. It bounces off hands and gets picked. But he's made some bad plays. I mean, he has not played well by his standards. By normal quarterback standards, probably on the fringe of the top ten this year. By his standards, he's been brutal. Too many forced passes, too many bailing, too many times he's bailed out of clean pockets, which is a habit that he's developed over the last couple of years. They haven't had good offensive lines. This year they do. They actually have a very good offensive line, but they – They've struggled to get him to take proper depth drops. And so when he's supposed to be at seven yards, he ends up being at 10 or at 12. It, it's stuff that a lot of it, maybe outside the pass rush, I do think they can fix. But it's a lot of stuff to fix. And you're through seven games, and they have the hardest schedule in the league the rest of the way. I mean, they still have to play the Packers, the Cowboys. They have to play, they have to play at Cincinnati. They're the Raiders twice. They're at the Chargers on a Thursday night. I mean, they... If they come back and they end up winning 10, 11, 12 games, they're going to earn it because they have a very tough slate the rest of the way. You think Cincinnati's legit? I do it after Sunday. And I, I never try to react too much one way or the other to one game. I think it's take yourself in trouble. Um, but, you know, they play the Packers, and everybody focused on Crosby missing a bunch of field goals. So did the Bengals. The Bengals could have put that game away a lot earlier. Uh, and and they, they didn't. They let it slip away. I was impressed. It sounds bizarre because the Lions are 0-7 at this point, but they went to Detroit two weeks ago, right before they played Baltimore, right after the Green Bay game. And I thought, looking at that game, that's a classic game. Young team, off an emotional loss. They know they got Baltimore next week. This is where they, they play flat, and they either lose or they need to come back to win this game. And they went into Detroit, and they buried Detroit. The game was never close. They put them away early. And then they go to Baltimore in a game that I think most people felt like, okay, Cincinnati's going to be competitive. They're not going to win this game. Everyone talks about Burrow and Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is the offensive rookie of the year. He's been phenomenal. He 200 yards and a touchdown against Baltimore. But it's their defense. Their defense is playing really, really well. Logan Wilson's done a heck of a job as a linebacker, young linebacker out of Wyoming for them. Yeah, Trey Fredrickson, who came in, I think a lot of people, uh, Trey Hendrickson, rather, came in and, and – really is replacing Carl Lawson. And you read a lot of stuff in the offseason. Well, it's not going to be an upgrade for them. It's at least been even. He's been very good. They sacked Lamar Jackson five times, only gave up 17 points to a team that had just waxed the Chargers a week earlier. I'm really impressed. I think they're going to contend for that division. I do think they'll make the playoffs. They have a tough schedule, too. They, As I mentioned, they play Kansas City, Baltimore again, Cleveland twice, Pittsburgh again. Those division games are always tough. 
But yeah, I think Cincinnati's going to be right where it needs to be at the end of the season. And the Bears somehow beat the Bengals, which was yeah. at Soldier Field. Yeah, that game got a little close at the end. Jamar Chase and Burrow connected late, but the Bears did beat them. Um, all right, going back to the Bears real quick. I do want to hit you with some trade line, uh, trade deadline stuff, but let's go back to the Bears 49ers. Um, yep. It seems like 49ers fans are pretty much done with Jimmy G, but it sounds like he'll be the one starting Sunday at Soldier Field. What do you make of this 49ers team? What can Bears fans expect to see out of San Fran? They've lost their last four straight. Yeah, Niners haven't won since week two, uh, and they've only beaten the Lions and the Eagles this year. So the, the, the 49ers are not a very good team. They've been banged up again. They struggled with some injuries. But, you know, Garoppolo, he's, he's very much a product of what's around him. If things are going well and they're playing great defense and they're running the ball and he can, he can play play action off of it, he's fine. He's, he's capable. If that doesn't happen, it's over. I kind of liken him to Baker Mayfield in that regard. And I think Mayfield's a little bit more talented, but I think they're the same kind of player. You know, some quarterbacks, they drive the play. They make players around them better. Garoppolo can't do that. And so I, I think if you're the Bears, you're going to feel like, look, if we can get some pressure in this game, if we can stop the running game on first down, and if you're a Bears fan, you're watching this game, to me, that's, that's the tale of the tape. The Niners have a very good, diverse running game. It's you know the Shanahan way. His father was like that in Denver. If you can stop them three yards or less on first down, and you force Garoppolo into having to throw the ball, he's got weapons. Kittle's a great player. Debo Samuel is having a phenomenal year, but he is not the kind of guy who, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you want him throwing 35-40 times. You do not want to play that way for San Francisco. Offensively, I think for the Bears. Look, I, I would like to see Nagy start to utilize Fields' legs a little bit more. Like not even running the ball, but just roll the pocket, get him outside, get some quick reads. Let you know, throw throw a couple wide receiver screens. Let Mooney and Robinson make plays. You're going to get stopped occasionally on that. But the Niners' secondary is not good. Their secondary stinks right now. You know, Jason Brett's out for the year. It, it is not a good group of corners. If I'm Chicago, I'm saying we're going to challenge those guys. We're going to try to get a man-on-man, and we're going to try to put some pressure on them to make plays and give Justin Fields some defined reads so it's not just, well, you know, if we run the ball and it doesn't work out, it's second and eight. Now it's just this massive uphill climb. Run a little play action. Throw the ball in first down. I, I think the Bears can win this game, but they have to play it in a way where they're not constantly fighting the sticks on both sides of the ball. Uh, I hope you're right. I, I do think the Bears are going to beat the 49ers as well. Um, we're not even at the halfway point, but Super Bowl favorite right now, who, who are you liking? I know Arizona's unbeaten. We've got a Thursday night matchup against the Packers in Arizona. That should be a good one. Um, but since I've got you, it is, this is the way too early Super Bowl prediction. But who are you liking so far? Who, who um, If you had to pick right now, being in the Super Bowl, who would you go with? Tampa. I, I think Tampa's going to go back. Uh, then in Buffalo. Look, I before the year... I always pick the Super Bowl, and I never have picked a, a, a repeat in my life. And I pick Kansas City and Tampa. I am not feeling Kansas City. I wouldn't roll them out because they're the kind of team they can just get white hot, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, they scored 40 points a game. But uh, I, I think right now in the AFC, the AFC is wide open. Like, I could make a case for a lot of teams. I still think, even though they lost the game to Tennessee, Buffalo is the best team in the AFC. They're, they're, they're so talented on both sides of the ball. McDermott and his staff do a great job, really, really well coached. Uh, and then in the NFC, I look at it, and I see three teams that are better than everybody else. The Bucks, the Cardinals, and the Rams, to me, 
Oh, the three best teams. I have a lot of respect for the Packers. I have all the respect in the world for Rodgers. I do not think that defense is stopping any of those three teams in a playoff game. I do not think they can do it, especially with all the injuries they're dealing with. I know that some of those guys are going to come back, but I think that's tough. And then, uh, you know, with, with the Cowboys, I like the Cowboys a lot. I think their offense can score with anybody, but again, the defense gets no pressure on the quarterback. That is a recipe for disaster from the playoffs. So I like the Bucks simply because uh, look, Brady, despite being 88 years old, has more yardage and more touchdown passes than anybody in football. He looks great. They're loaded. They're going to get healthier as the year goes on. The Cardinals are really good. They're legit. They're for real. The Rams are going to be there. But give me the team that I think is just as good as Jared, too, with a lot more experience. It's unbelievable. It's almost speechless what Tom Brady's been able to do this late in his career. It's incredible. Um, trade deadline Tuesday at 3. Can you see the Bears selling? I don't from a local perspective. I just don't see them doing that because I think this team has some idea that everyone else really isn't on board with, but I think they think they can sneak in at a 9-8 and eight maybe. Um, but but if the Bears were to trade, I mean, Allen Robinson, Akeem Hicks, maybe even Eddie Jackson, who's kind of fallen out of favor right. with Bears fans too. Um, I, I don't know. What are you hearing? Do you think there's a chance the Bears can move these guys? And if so, where do you think they could land? It's all the people around the league. I think it's kind of a, a sentiment of, of mystery with them. Almost like, well, they probably should sell. They could sell. But if they sell, it's almost like nagging in pace of waving the white flag on their time there, right? Nice. So, nice. I, you know, I think that the thought process is they should sell, but if you, if you had to bet, they probably don't. The other thing is with Robinson, he's not had a good year. So are you going to – like if you're, if you're the Bears and a team calls you up and says, we'll give you a fourth-round pick, are you doing that for Allen Robinson? Like is it worth it? You know, I – I think at this point it's just accumulate draft capital, but I don't know that the Bears are quite looking at it that way. You know, Hicks, maybe it's more powerful if you're the Bears. Maybe you say, all right, you know what? If we can get a you know a late third or fourth, but again, I don't know that they would get a third for Hicks. I don't think they would. It's just it's just hard when you're basically getting you know, half a season out of a guy and he's going to create. So I don't think they'll sell. But I do think they'll see some teams around the league that will. Listen, the Jets, I think Marcus May, there's a good chance he gets dealt. Uh, the Texans, Brandon Cooks, there's a real possibility he gets traded. Obviously, everybody's talking about Deshaun Watson. I'd be lying if I said I had any idea how that's going to play out. I don't know that even the Texans have an idea of how that's going to play out. Um, how could, I sorry, sorry think, to interrupt, Matt, how could he even, ahead, yeah. uh, the idea of him playing this year? Like, he should not be playing in the NFL this year, right? I'm with you, Kevin. Like, I, I said this, I've said this on every radio spot I've done the last week. I'm on, I'm on, my, excuse me, on my podcast. Um, I, I can't imagine a team, and obviously the Dolphins are kind of the leaders in the clubhouse here by every report, trading three first-round picks for him, plus other things, player, maybe a second-round pick, and then bringing him up to a podium and going, hey, everybody, here's our new starting quarterback, <laughs> Sean Watson. Here's 20 minutes to ask him whatever you want, but don't touch on the 22 civil suits that allege sexual assault. That's out of bounds. Have fun. I can't, I can't even imagine that. Like I don't know. And if you're the NFL, who to this point has been mum and done nothing, you're going to tell me that if he, let's just say he gets traded today. Okay, they traded the Dolphins. 
the Dolphins come out and say, yep, he's starting Sunday in Buffalo. You're the NFL. You're fine with that? You're the most image-conscious business in the world, and you're just going to let him go out there and play football and be in highlight packages? I I just cannot believe that. I do not think he's going to get traded. Just just no, no inside information, just my opinion. I, I do not think, in the end, that he's going to get dealt this season. I think it comes in the offseason. I'm with you. Uh, great stuff, Matt. I really appreciate the time. Any other final thoughts on uh, the Bears or the uh, the national look on the NFL right now uh, before I let you go? No, I think I think the trade deadline is going to be fairly active. Um, I don't know that you'll see a huge name get moved unless you think Brandon Cooks is a huge name. I think there's a good chance he gets dealt. But um, I will say, I think this year in the NFL is a lot of fun because it's so wide open. I don't know that you'll look at this. You know, like last year it was, hey, look, Kansas City's a family favorite. Um, the year prior to that, a little more open, but you had Baltimore, who was just dominant, who ended up not even winning a playoff game. You'll look at the, the league this year, and I think you've got nine or ten teams that you say they could get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's that's rare in the NFL. Even the NFL loves to say how much parity it has, um, and it does. But there's, there's a lot. Of, there's at least a quarter of the league, and I think even a little bit more, that you could look at it and go, you know what, yeah, I could see that team making a run to the Super Bowl. And that's that's going to set up for a really, really fun January. I, I, I'm with you. I'm glad you said that. I've had so much fun watching the NFL this year. There have been so many great games. I've had to sit through some really bad Bears ones. But when you look at some of the national broadcasts, there's been a couple clunkers, but we've had a lot of really great games. doesn't hurt the fact that watching a game looks like a normal NFL product after last year. I know we're still not completely yeah. through it, but I know ratings are big, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you turn on an NFL game. It's like, that looks like an NFL game. You know, it's, There's no lingering cloud. I mean, again, not completely through it. Bears are dealing with some stuff right now as well. But I, I'm with you. I think this has been a, a great season so far and a lot of good matchups ahead. But uh, very very uh, big thanks to Matt Verderam. Follow him on Twitter at uh, Matt Verderam. Uh, you can uh, listen to his stuff on Stacking the Box podcast at Fansided. Read his stuff as well. Matt, I can't thank enough. Really, really great insight. Thank you. Hey, no problem. Anytime. All right. Thanks again to Matt for joining me on the podcast. Up next, it's high school football talk with Sun-Times Michael O'Brien. And now joining me on the podcast is Michael O'Brien, Chicago Sun-Times high school sports editor. And it is high school football time in Illinois. And what a year and a half, two years it's been, Michael, where there were so many question marks. We had spring football, which felt strange. But now we got through the full nine-game season, and the playoffs are finally here. You've covered it so closely. I'm sure it's uh, – I know it's exciting for the coaches and players, but I'm sure for you, uh, who does follow this so closely, it's got to be an exciting time to, to finally get to, to the postseason football here. Yeah, it's great. And, and, you know, I was a little worried at the start of the season that the fans would come back or what things would be like. It would have been gone so long. But, boy, I mean, based just kind of on our Internet traffic, the excitement for the playoffs is pretty high, higher than it has been in a long time. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited. I, I saw that you have my Hersey Huskies going fairly deep. We'll get to 7A in just a minute, a little bit selfishly here. I'm, I'm rooting for my Huskies. But, um Let's start with 8A. Is anybody beating Loyola? It's just incredible what this program's turned into over the past, what, what, like 10 years now. It just seems like they're a constant state contender. You know, if they don't beat them this year, this is kind of what nobody's talking about. If you don't beat Loyola this year, I mean, they're young. They're all coming back almost next year. That's a little scary thing toward the future. You know, they're 9-0, obviously. They didn't lose in the 
spring either, but that was a different team. These are all kind of younger, less experienced kids. I don't think they're unbeatable. I, I mean, I do think they have some weaknesses, especially they lost their starting running back, Marco Maldonado, to injury. He's not back. So I think that they're going to face some teams that are more talented than them. You know, the thing is, Loyola is so well coached. They don't make mistakes. You know, they're, they're tough. They're definitely the favorite. But I do think they can lose. I don't know if they will, but they could. Would you look at some of these powerhouse teams, you know, in the Chicago area, through the state? I mean, at this level of high school football, what, what do you attribute most to teams that are constant winners? I mean, obviously the talent pool is going to be there for some schools and maybe a little bit more year by year. And sometimes you see a team compete for the playoffs for a few years and then they take a deep dive. And then you have teams like Loyola and the Maine South and the Mount Carmels and all these schools that just are perennial powerhouses. Like To you, what stands out about these schools that, that makes them a constant winner? Money. Um, high school football is about money and coaching. If you look at the Super 25, it's the wealthy suburbs. It's the private schools that put a lot of money into the program. It's just too difficult. You know, when you think about a basketball team, all the skills are kind of the same. Big men are different. But you don't need 15 coaches for different positions. You do for football, you know, to be really good. It takes a lot of money and a lot of coaching, and it's just difficult for a lot of the South Suburban poorer schools, a lot of the city schools, to be able to pull that off. It's no coincidence that when you look at my Super 25 every year, it's pretty much the wealthiest school district in, in the area. Well, we could take a deep dive into that. It's kind of sad to think about as well, but it, you know, it gives you a good idea. you got Loyola and Maine South constantly competing. That it, it gives you a good idea. Um, who is the biggest yeah. contender? You, it, I'm reading here through your notes through Class A. You still think Maine South's got a good shot at it this year, just like every season, basically? Yeah, you know, I'm a bit of an outlier on that. Most of my contemporaries prefer Warren. Um, Warren has an excellent defense. They have the last few years. Um, but, you know, Maine South beat Warren in Gurney early in the year. I'm kind of taking that result, and I have a little bit more faith in Maine South than some people. You know, Dave and Sarah's been around forever. You know, they got a really talented quarterback in Rowan Keith, and everybody talks about Warren's defense, but Maine South held them to two points, you know, and that game was 10-2. to two. So, yeah, I-, I do like Maine South's chances. However, Nequa Valley had a really good year. You know, all the Naperville schools are excellent this year, and they've kind of been knocking each other off. Nequa, Naperville North, and Naperville Central. So any of them could actually mount a nice challenge, too. But they're going to face Loyola in a second-round game, so that'll be interesting. I keep hearing Warren come up. From from high school football people that follow it, everybody keeps saying, look out for Warren. Look out for Warren. The, the defense is kind of awe-inspiring. <laughs> has been for a few years. Athletes everywhere. They're super aggressive. They're very well coached. It's just a fun, tough, you know, unit to watch. You know, they do have a running back head into Vanderbilt, but the offense just hasn't, over the years now, the last few years, you know, they were in the 8A final a few years ago. It just hasn't proven to be reliable. So that's the issue with Warren, if they can throw the ball. Who's a surprise team in 8A that might make a run, maybe not on everybody's radar? Lockport, you know, not a traditional power. They're 8-1 and one this year, and the loss is the game I saw. They lost to Lincoln Way East, but their starting quarterback didn't play. He's a big kid, like 6'6", six, six, you know, a guy with a great arm. They're a team to watch. Because of that one loss, they've fallen down to the four seed, but they could be better than people expect. I'm not so sure. I think the South Suburbs are a little down this year, but keep an eye on Lockport for sure. Another one that people don't talk about at all is Glenbrook South. 
not a very good program kind of traditionally, but they've had a nice year and have some momentum. And then Hinsdale Central, of course, you know, they're always good and they've come on strong late. All right, let's head over over to 7A. You do have Brother Ice beating my Hersey Huskies in the championship. You got that much faith in my Joe Pardon's Huskies, huh? You feeling all right about them? Boy, if they had Ben Clawson, yeah, who was the best player last Ankle year. Ankle injury. I mean, yeah, that could have been everything. But, you know, it's kind of the way the bracket fell, not to take too much away from Hersey. But, yeah. you know, I do like them against normal um, in, in the second round. And then they just have to play an MSL team that they've already played this year. You know, either Prospect or Buffalo Grove, Grove possibly. And then that gets them into the semis. But, you see, this is the big issue. There's more talk now that Caleb Brown, St. Rita's star, who's going to Ohio State, he's missed the whole season with an injury other than like the first four minutes. He was hurt in the first four minutes of the season. He might be coming back for the playoffs. Mm. That would change everything. When I made my predictions, I did not think St. Rita was going to have Caleb Brown. Uh, if they do, that could be a tough for Hersey in that semi. Tell us about Caleb Brown. Give us a little more on him. Uh, he's the most electric player in the northern half of the state. He, he's incredible. Um, one of those kids, we don't get a ton of them in football around here that is just, you know, an SEC, high-level Big Ten breakout recruit. He's just fast. He's fast and he's tough, and every time he gets the ball, he's a threat to score from literally anywhere on the field. He's that big of a difference maker. Um, he's like a 14-point player <laughs> all by himself. I want to see him play. Even if it means my, uh, my, my Huskies <laughs> might lose him, I'd love to get uh, love to get some highlights on him. You, you wrote about the three best teams, and you already mentioned it, in Class A, bunched together in the top of the bracket with uh, Batavia, Mount Carmel, and Brother Rice. H- how do, um, I guess, can you give us some more insight on how these brackets are built and how that I guess came about because when I saw that too I'm like those are some really good teams and all are gonna have might have to play each other early on it's a little complicated how you get put into your class but let's just say once we know the 718 um the, the field there the way they do it is it's just based rawly on record and then to break the ties with record it's playoff points which is the amount of wins your opponents had during the season so it's completely objective. They don't care that Mount Carmel and Brother Rice played in the toughest conference, you know, and that their losses were good. That means nothing. They will take Hananega, you know, from Rockton, who's also 9-0, but played a schedule not even a third as tough, and they, you know, are the same <laughs> as everybody else. So it's pretty logical and flat. There's a lot of issues with that, but, you know, it's tough. What are you supposed to do, get everybody in a room and see that that's what they do for, for basketball? That can be difficult. Um, that's the way they do it for football. And then they also break it into a south and a north bracket. And that line can be weird um, in a lot of classes. You just never, it depends on like what schools are in the 7A. So it's, it's a bit messy, you know, and that sometimes leads to crazy things like these the second-round games in, in the top brackets. Yeah, the weird districting, uh, districting of Illinois for sure. Um, but you do have, talk a little bit about Brother Rice. You do have them uh, as your pick to win 7A. Yeah, they have uh, Jack Lausch is their quarterback. He is um, a baseball player and a football player, and he's going to go to Notre Dame uh, to play. He wants to play both sports, and they were willing to do that. Uh, he just has a preferred walk-on scholarship, though, not a full ride yet, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, he's a kid we knew about headed into the season. I knew he was a, a good player and like a capable quarterback. I did not expect him to have the dynamic year he has had. I mean, I've seen two games, I think, now against Loyola and against, um, was it McCormick Bay or Marist? He's running for 150 yards a game. He's throwing for 300 yards a game. 
you know, he's he's whipping 60-yard passes down the field. I don't know what he's doing. They wind up in a receiver's hands. He's just been really spectacular this season, and he's led them on some really tough games because their defense couldn't stop any of the good teams. You know, these 40, 45 to 46, you know, 54 to 58 games. So he's been out there just gunslinging, and he's been really impressive. He's probably our leader right now for player of the year, but they're probably going to need a nice, run brother rice for him to be able to win that award and you're your picked to win it all in 6a who you got uh 6a i've got uh well east 6a is worth talking about because it's east st louis um they're fantastic they're the best team in the state regardless of class they've got uh the number four player in the whole country this luther burnett he, he's really incredible he's going to missouri which is kind of a weird choice but he is from st louis down there they have played they have two losses and they're both to the top five teams in the country uh, which is obviously impressive. None of our other teams have even played a game on the national stage like in a couple of years. So East St. Louis, they'd be favored even to win 8A. Uh, they're that good. How do those national matchups come about? Um, you know, you turn on ESPN at some school from like Florida playing a Texas school. I think Mount Carmel was on a national one a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken. But how do those typically come about? Yeah, there's, um, you know, I think ESPN, you know, is going to televise them, and I believe it's a local company, Paragon Marketing, uh, in the, on the North Shore. They do put together the matchups for ESPN. Um, Phillips was on there, I think, a few years ago, too. So they would be pretty dialed in if we had a local team that they thought was worthwhile um, since they're from around here, because they were involved in that scandal with Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> right. How are they looking in the playoffs <laughs> this year, Michael? Yeah, yeah, not too good. But I remember when that when that broke, I was like, "Oh wait, I think that's a local company that picks those." Because ESPN doesn't pick; they don't know. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Now that you mentioned it, it's like a third party that kind of gets it for. Clearly, you can run into some trouble there. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, well, no disrespect to five A and down, but if you want, do do, do you have picks for all the classes for state champions? If you want to do one quickly run Um, through. 5A, 5A has got everybody confused because we thought Rochester, which is a Springfield area, just absolute powerhouse. Mm-hmm. We thought they were going to be in 5A, and they were the clear favorites. Well, they got bumped down to 4A. Mm. So they're the clear favorites in 4A since we thought – well, no, sorry, Joey Catholic's there too. So it's going to be those two schools in 4A. But 5A has got us all kind of just bar- – I'm not sure what to say. Uh, Fenwick is in it from Oak Park. They shocked um, kind of everybody by playing really close against Loyola at a decent season. And then Morris, you know, from the uh, kind of southwest suburbs. Those are the two schools. But really, it's a it's a weird 5A field. 4A would be a fascinating title game, though, because Rochester's quarterback is an Illinois recruit, and Juliet Catholic's running back is one of the biggest, toughest running backs I've seen around here in a while, Jordan Anderson. He's also going to Illinois. So the 4A title game at Memorial Stadium in Champaign could be two Illinois recruits going at one another, which would be exciting for those folks. Well, so so it is in Champaign this year, the state the state championships. I don't know why I thought oh, it was in Northern. Geez, no, no, I misspoke. I'm sorry. I, that's wishful thinking for me. It's back in DeKalb. It switches every year, yeah. Hey, I threw, this, I threw this idea out there, and this is a hypothetical and way down the road, but who knows if the Bears move to Arlington Heights, they can do a lot with that plot of land. Who knows? Maybe they'll have state championships up in Arlington Heights someday. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Long way to go for that, but uh, Michael, you do such an awesome job covering high school sports, and I know uh, basketball's right around the corner as well, and you've got some previews there, but I will have to touch base again as the uh, as the playoffs uh, progress. Hopefully you're right about my Huskies making a deep run, but uh, we'll see. Man. Be sure to uh, read Michael's stuff at uh, suntimes.com. I uh, can't thank you enough, Michael. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
Yeah, good to talk to you, Kevin. Thanks. That's episode 14 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. This was a fun one. Kind of switched it up, went around the NFL a little bit. Thanks to Matt Verderam for joining me. And uh, some high school football talk. That's always fun as well. Thanks to Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times for jumping on. Another episode will be posted Friday. We'll do a deep dive on the Bears this week and talk about their matchup with the 49ers. Thank you for listening to the WGN Radio Football Podcast.